All right, welcome today. This is Romans class number 16. Romans class number 16. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. Then we'll go over to Titus if you want to get Titus chapter 2 and be ready to turn there. We'll make a few comments from there. In Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. All right. Now, back up to verse number one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that is a great question. It's also asked in more forms than just that one. A lot of times if you get into a discussion about whether or not you can lose your salvation, oftentimes you'll run into comments about salvation being a license to sin. And of course, that's a negative reaction to eternal security. Well, if, if you're always saved and you never have to worry about losing your salvation, that really gives you a license to sin. And that is the topic that's covered here. Nobody that believes in eternal security should consider that to be a license to sin. And we should explain eternal security in a way that our sin has nothing to do with our security. Our sin is what caused us to be lost. And the grace of God is really, in its very uh, definition, grace is the uh, overwhelming conclusion that man was in need of God's uh, mercy, of his help, of his provision. A man that's receiving grace is in a lower condition than uh, the person that's uh, making a way for him or making provision for him. And so grace shows that there is a lack. Grace received shows that there is some lack on your part. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the grace. Uh, if you talk about the law being our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, then the law is not a, a means of justification. The law is, a, is an eye-opener. The law is a teacher. The law is a schoolmaster. The law is a mechanism that shows man that no matter how many rules he keeps, he still needs those rules. And the reason that he needs those rules is because that his character is deformed. His character is perverted. There's something wrong with the makeup of man that, that uh, 
necessitates a set of rules be placed upon him. And so the Bible says in uh, Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appointed, uh, excuse me, hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So the grace of God teaches something. What does the grace of God teach? It says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, the reason that you needed grace, and worldly lust, the reason that you needed grace. He said we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So there is a, there is a necessity, there's a need for change. And that change can't come about if you were a man living after worldly lust. And that you should be living righteously. You see, teaching us that denying ungodliness says we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. So if a man's living ungodly and he has worldly lust, he needs something to teach him that he should live soberly, righteously, godly. And so this is what grace does. Grace teaches us this. If... We had the ability in us to live in such a way that we needed no grace, then we would also need no rules. We would need no regulations. So grace in itself becomes a rule. Grace in itself becomes a regulation. God uh, reached out to us. God made provision for us. God gave his only begotten son for us because we couldn't come up to the mark on our own. And so this passage of scripture here really answers these questions uh, to the uh, to the critic. It answers the questions to, to the man that's seeking for justification. Uh, grace is not a change of God's principles. But, God, uh, but it's a bridge from God's principles to a man that certainly can't live up to those principles. And it gives him a way across. It's not just reaching out to us where we are. It is that. But it's not, God's grace is not just reaching out to us where we are in the condition that we are in. But grace is a bridge to help us get from where we are to where he plans for us to be. Again, Titus chapter 2, teaching us that denying ungodliness, that's where we were when we were lost. Worldly lust, that's where we were when we were lost. The Ephesians says that, uh, that we um, lived according to the lust of, the, of our flesh, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, the present condition of a lost man, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, the grace of God uh, built a bridge between us and God, but we were separated from God because of our sins, because of the lust of our flesh, the the desires of our heart, which the Bible says is deceitful above all things. And so God, in his mercy, died on the cross for our sins and offered us the gospel, the belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And that grace that was extended to us, though we were ungodly, though we were sinners, this is the whole theme of Romans chapter 5, 
helps us and gives us access into the grace wherewith we, uh, wherein we stand. It gives us an opportunity to repentance. It gives us an opportunity to change the ungodly lust into godly living. It's, there is a space for training. There is a space for um, the reconciliation of our minds with the mind of God. Romans chapter 12, which we'll get to that as we continue on. But uh, there's a space for the renewal of the mind. Salvation is not an instantaneous renewal of the mind. It's, salvation is instantaneous salvation. It's instantaneous rebirth. It's instantaneous regeneration. It's instantaneous sanctification. It's instantaneous uh, redemption. But it's not an instantaneous uh, reclamation of your mind with God's will. So there is a, there is a place there in the life of each believer where he is discipled, his mind is changed about principles and, and statutes and different things in, in that regard about the way a man should live, the way he should act. And so the grace of God teaches us those things. We were unholy. Now there has to be holiness. There needs to be holiness. And the grace of God is, is not a place it's not a concept that says god doesn't care about your actions and activities you're saved now you just go and do what you want to you can't be justified by works and so don't worry about any of that and on the contrary the bible says in ephesians chapter 2 it says it, it certainly does say in ephesians chapter 2 that we're not saved by works but it says uh, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we're not saved by works. That's, that certainly is true. It certainly is true. But we are created in Christ Jesus as new creatures by the, at the new birth to become men of good works. And so that's found... Uh, certainly and specifically in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should uh, live in them. So, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we live? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So there is a, there is a, a lot of concepts bound up in these first two verses of Romans chapter 6. We're saved. We're saved by the grace of God. We're not saved by our own works. In that we are saved by God's grace, we ought to recognize that grace has a specific meaning. Grace shows us our condition. Grace implies that we are in a lower condition than God. We are in a fleshly condition that requires 
Uh, it requires work. It requires attention. It requires nurture. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to grow in grace. And so he says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into, Christ, into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. So verse number four is the logical conclusion of repentance. And if you go back and study repentance in your Bible. Repentance is first mentioned as a thing that God did. And of course God isn't repenting of iniquity. He's not repenting of of foolishness or sin of any kind but God has pronounced judgment upon Israel and somebody makes intercession for Israel and God repents of the evil which he had thought to do unto them so it was a changing of mind God's mind was set to do a thing and his uh, mind was changed about that and God repented of the evil which he thought to do and so repentance all through the Bible and you can look at it in its context all through the Bible it is a changing of the mind a man thinks that he is righteous and the law of God convinces him that he is not righteous a man thinks that somebody else is um, sin is worse than his own and the bible teaches him that his own sin is is as bad if not worse than any other man's sin and so the the disciple said hey you know you hear about this tower that fell on these people in siloam and and the response of jesus is hey uh, do you think that they're sinners above all the rest because a tower fell on them he says Except you repent, you likewise perish. And so repentance is always a condition of the mind. I think this, I assume this, I believe this, and the Bible sheds light on it and either confirms it or reproves it. And if it reproves it and proves you to be in a wrong position, that changing of your heart and changing of your mind is repentance. Now, in the case of a lost man, he, he justifies himself. He relies upon himself. He relies upon his, his own works. And, and the grace of God appears in the, in the life and death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And he sees his great need for salvation. He sees the law and all of its accusation against him. It, the law says you didn't do this or you did do that and the man is convinced that Jesus Christ is the payment for those sins that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for his relationship with God to to settle the uh, the enmity that was between him and God and so that repentance should naturally say that if this old life is bad then there ought to be a newness of life. And so verse number four is the logical conclusion of repentance. Repentance not only tells you that this life that you're living now is not worth living and it's very destructive. 
then there ought to be a new life. And that's why verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Well, if there was a reason to repent, if there was a reason to have a change of heart and mind about the life you were living before, then there certainly is a reason for you to say, Now my life needs to be adjusted. My actions, my attitudes, my heart needs to be adjusted. And that is... Totally the context of Romans chapter 12. Grace is not God accepting you as you are. That is not what the grace of God is. The grace of God is not God's acceptance of you the way you are. God's grace is God's acceptance. God's grace is God's acceptance of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as a payment for your sins. Grace is not saying that your sin is okay. Sin should be repented of. Uh, sin should be uh, worked on as far as the uh, the context of Romans chapter 12 is concerned. Conforming your life to the word of God. Conforming your life to God's will. It's in no way, shape, or form an assumption that you will completely rid your life of sin as long as you're in the flesh. That's not even an expectation of God. Your expectation from God is that you confess your sins when you do sin. Uh, God's expectation of you is that he's going to give you an avenue of escape, according to the book of Corinthians, uh, so that you'll be able to escape uh, the sins of this life. That's God's expectation, but God also fully expects you to, to fail on a regular basis. Not that he wants you to, but that is God's expectation. God knows what is in man. God knows what man is going to do. I wish in this context that you could read Romans chapter 7 as well, because we'll get into that um, in the next three or four classes, I suppose we'll be into Romans 7. And Romans 7 shows that the things men know they ought to do, they don't do. And the things they know they ought not to do, they do anyway. And so the things they ought to do, they don't do. The, the, the things that they shouldn't do, they do. And so that's the way that it is. I think I said that wrong twice. But it, but at any rate, I, I'm trying to get across to you that there's no expectation of, of God that you rid your life of sin. The, the expectation of God is, is that you learn what sin is, that you resist it, that you dedicate your life to live for God primarily and that when you sin you confess your sins much the same as you did when you confessed yourself a sinner in order to be saved to take advantage of the of the sacrifice that was made for your salvation but it's not a grace is not a continuance in sin and grace is not a an acceptance of who you are how you are that's not what God's grace is God's grace is though you be a sinner and though you definitely need, uh, though you definitely need a, a change in your life, culture, character, personality, the whole nine yards needs to be changed. And the Bible says that God has made us a new uh, creature in Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, God God gives us that in the new birth. But grace is certainly not an acceptance of who we are. Grace is access to who God is. 
Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense is not a biblical explanation and it's not an at, it's not an adequate explanation of what grace is. And so grace is it's not a license to sin, eternal security is not a license to sin, but it is it is a license to get right when we have sinned even as Christians. And so there is a, there is a great picture of the logical consequence of repentance when a man repents of his sins he doesn't say, God, I'm never going to sin again. He says, my sins have separated between me and you. And God, I'm asking now for reconciliation. The Lord Jesus Christ provided that reconciliation on the cross. And availing ourselves of that advantage and of that opportunity gives us access to newness of life. And that newness of life should be our pursuit all of our days. We may become shipwrecked in our faith. We may make a lot. Uh, we may make a lot of wrong decisions that bring us out at the, at the wrong conclusion of this life. But that doesn't change the grace of God, and it doesn't change the consequences of accepting His salvation, and also gives us access to the consequences of accepting His. Uh, daily salvation on a daily basis and that's what these next few verses talk about for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin so there is uh, victory in this life salvation the new birth is victory for eternity and the application of Romans chapter 12 in conjunction with what's being taught here uh, which uh, in just a second we'll talk about Romans chapter 6 being the empowerment of Romans chapter 12 you don't get access to Romans chapter 12 without having knowledge of Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 is the opportunity Romans chapter 12 is the, is the course. Romans chapter 6 is the opportunity. Romans chapter 12 is the performance of it. Romans chapter 6, through this baptism that's talked about in verse 3 and 4, and through the effect of that in, in 5, 6, 7, and 8, 9, and 10, is just a description of the op- uh, of the actual performance that is talked about in Romans chapter 12 presenting your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God well salvation makes that possible grace makes that possible and if you see Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 12 together in that context uh, it makes the Christian life a little bit easier to understand. Nothing's ever completely simple. We use great plainness of speech, but oftentimes we, we're using great plainness to, of speech to describe a very complex and a very detail-oriented life, which is the Christian life and the Christian purpose, the Christian uh, manner of being the way you go about things it can often be complex but it can be described in, w- with great plainness of speech 
And so in verse number three and four, there's a baptism there, which is simply the uh, the uh, the Lord imparting to us his spirit because he's given us grace. He died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. Salvation is a free gift. And with that free gift comes the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 13 says, In whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter number 2 uh, talks about the circumcision that's made without hands and and right there in that same context is the baptism and these are this is not water baptism when we talk about uh, should uh, being raised to walk in newness of life that is not a physical water baptism that's that is the baptism in which God immerses you in his spirit and God washes you and cleanses you in his blood immerses you in his spirit implants the Holy Spirit within you, which is a fulfillment of John chapter 14's promise that God will be in you. Christ will be in you and Christ will be in God and God will be in you. And there is a whole section of John chapter 14 that just uh, relates over and over again. God is in you and Christ is in you and you are in God and Christ is in God and Christ is in you. It's It's really a great chapter when it begins to correlate with some of these passages in the book of Romans that really fulfills what Christ done in his life and his ministry, not only for those that were present at that time, not only for his disciples and apostles at that time, but for us here 2,000 years later in the church age that are awaiting his second coming, Resting secure in the fact that though we be faulty and though we be part of a desperately sinful age, that were the grace of God, uh, that were sin abound, the grace of God did much more abound. That's, these are great promises. These are wonderful promises. Uh, uh, as we come through Romans chapter 5 and we were introduced to some of these ideas about the offenses abounding and the grace of God's abounding much more. It really builds through Romans 6 and Romans 7 to a place where we are desperately weak, but God is desperately powerful and has given us of his, of his spirit in order to help us uh, not over um, overcome throughout eternity after this flesh is dead and revived and remade, but to survive right here with the power of God and the Spirit of God in this life. And grace is not God's acceptance of us as we were as sinners. Uh, It is the ability for us to be uh, changed from what we were as sinners into servants of the living God. And so this whole passage here, verse 1 through 10, is definitely an introduction uh, of a new life. And as we get into Romans chapter 7, the thing will step up uh, a great deal above uh, what we've been talking about here and go into a lot more detail. But this uh, first portion of Romans chapter 6 is definitely a great introduction to Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. There will be some different topics discussed there, but uh, none should be discussed at all until you get these basic ideas 
down in regards to the things we've talked about for the past on 27, 28 minutes. So uh, we'll stop right here in verse number 10. We'll pick up in verse number 11 next time.